This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter 19. Manibiscatus. Nofrigium carried on, as did the Wolfsbane, both with apparent success. One investigation with Theo fell by the wayside. The success of Draco's other major new extracurricular endeavour, the duelling lessons, was more up for debate. Harry certainly seemed to look forward to them, and would tell any of his friends who'd listen how amazing they were, and Draco had legitimately worked on trying to make them useful, outside of as a blood-stealing pretext. He'd consulted with the textbook, Sirius, Remus, Hermione, and on one occasion even attempted to with Severus, before a sallow hand went up and Severus intoned, You can hardly imagine my lack of interest in what you and the Potter boy get up to at night. Harry was learning the spells that Draco had set out for him, in the modified, sort of expedited curriculum that revolved around Draco's own abilities. And Harry already had some basics like Stupefy Down, and of course, his beloved Expelliarmus. As a whole, Draco had picked out spells that he'd found useful in duels, apart from the Dark Arts ones. He'd imposed a strict, no-dark-magic rule on the lessons, after what had happened with Protego Diabolica which had convinced him Harry could be trusted around dark magic, much less than Draco's little third-year cousin. Draco had written up a rough programme and given it to Harry to proudly display in the Gryffindor fourth-year dorm, altered as it went along by current progress and Harry's current demands. After the first session, they ended each session with a sparring duel. Dueling lessons for the chosen blunderbuss, Salazar save us all. 1. Shielding. Protego, Protego Horriblis, Fianto Diori. 2. Ocular shielding. Fumos, Nebulus, Lumos Maxima. 3. Apugno, uses of. 4. Review. 5. Pressure. Depulso, Iverte Statum, Defindo. 6. Water, Aqua Eructo, Aqua Eructo Duo, Glacius, Incendio Glacius. 7. Wind, Ventus, Ventus Duo, Deprimo. 8. Review. 9. Advanced, Ventus Tria. 10. Blasting, Finestra, Expulso, Reducto, Bombarda, Bombarda Maxima, Confringo. 11. Binding. Locomotor Mortis. Petrificus Totalis. Incarcerus. Carpe Retractum. Manibiscatus. 12. Review. 12. Advanced. Borbilius. 13. Advanced. Lacanum Inflammari. Harry made disconcertingly quick process, with no spell he couldn't pick up in a single session though some, like Ventus Tria, took a while to get anywhere close to full strength, and it took him longer applying any of them in practice duels of which Draco was smug to note. Draco had won every single one. 
but Harry seemed as motivated as he had ever been about anything, even Quidditch. Small wonder, since what he most wanted to learn, throwing fireballs, Draco had placed at the very end. Draco didn't have such a good feeling about session 11. That one had have been in slot 5, but he'd switched it with the original slot 11 pressure for the whole blood collection enterprise. More defensive acts like binding should have gone earlier in the curriculum, but in truth, Draco had been only too happy to cut them off. He had a dim feeling as soon as he wrote them on the list that they could be trouble, and got a more concrete feeling of that when he went an hour early to the room of requirement. As he conjured up mats and pillows to cover the hard floor, in anticipation of being thrown there by Harry's magic to bind him down, he could see the difficulty there on his own end. He made sure to engage quickly in his bad habit, before there was any chance of Harry showing up, though it felt wrong doing it in the room of requirement of all places. But at least it should save him from greater embarrassment in front of Harry. He didn't want to think it would excite him to have Harry tie him down. But even as he dismissed the idea, there was a swell of heat in his recently sated body that marked him as a lamentably bad liar to himself. It all went wrong from the start, as Harry showed up in muggle clothes for the first time since the start. Harry, what are you wearing? Draco barked. He might have told Harry to go back and change, if he hadn't already turned the hourglass over per policy. It says on your sheet that we're doing binding charms. Harry said as if his logic was apparent. So, I didn't want to get any nice clothes messed up by hitting the floor over and over. He gestured to his worn grey hoodie and tight, ripped, fading blue jeans, which indeed could very well be the oldest clothes he owned. They could have evoked a peasant living in squalor if it hadn't been Harry Potter beneath him. I didn't realise you'd put down, oh God, all this um carpet and stuff and pillows. It's like it's all a huge bed. Harry, Draco said slowly, I know how to do the spells on your list. In your experience of the sessions, who has been the one learning the spells? And who has been the one casting them on whom? He gestured from Harry then to himself. Do you think I would have conjured so much padding if you were to be the one doing the falling? Oh, Harry said, actually drawing his wand right away in excitement. He bit his lip green eyes very big above it, as he rolled up the sleeves of his hoodie and advanced on Draco. You mean, I'm going to be binding you? Draco nodded, telling himself he wouldn't let Harry make him lose his composure, especially since he wasn't even trying. No, I I just, I guess, I just assumed I'd be practising getting out of it. I never thought that you would actually, um, let me tie you down. It was hard to miss the frisson Harry seemed to find in the idea. Draco refused to acknowledge one in himself despite his earlier actions that night. It was one thing to enjoy tying someone down. That was natural in a way. Power felt good. There was no denying it, sexually or not. But to enjoy being tied down. 
Draco wouldn't like that, especially not with Harry. Never let it be said, Draco intoned, that I have become predictable. No fear, Harry, I will also be teaching you counterspells. Shall we proceed? Yes, Harry yelled, then winced a bit at his excessive volume. No, I just... He took on the worst fake innocent look in the world. I'm I'm very interested to learn the intricacies of these spells for duelling purposes, he said as earnestly as he could. Bloody hell. Draco had been the one who did this curriculum. Yes, they were objectively important, but for self-preservation, couldn't he just have left them out entirely? Okay, Draco said. We start with locomotor mortis. Harry protested that he'd been able to do the leg bind and full body bind since first year, but Draco made him demonstrate both on him before he would let him move on. And thankfully there was little excitement for Draco in those spells. He hoped he had been wary for nothing. Except then, with permission, Harry shot his first incarcerus at him. Draco let himself be caught, and the ropes wrapped around Draco's waiting wrists with all the scorched sharp spark of magic that only Potter seemed to carry. Draco, are you okay? Harry asked, bending over where his spell had sent Draco falling bound at his feet. Draco struggled to sit up, flexing his wrists inside his binds, then managed to turn his hands and squirm out of them. I am now, Harry, Draco said, rolling his eyes. What was that? You only did my wrists, and they weren't even very tight. Are you trying to let your opponent escape and murder you? No, I I just... Harry rubbed the back of his head. I, I don't want to hurt you. Harry, Draco said disbelievingly. Three sessions ago, you were shooting tornadoes at me, and now you're freaking out over a bit of rope. Harry was flushed already, shifting nervously from foot to foot. It made the muscle of his thigh slide visibly under the rip in his jeans. Draco tried not to stare or let his eyes travel higher. I don't know, it just seems different, more personal, or... Harry, Draco said coldly, you're fourteen, not four. You can handle binding a bloke a little without losing your nerve like this. Now, stop acting like a Hufflepuff and tie me up properly. Oh, Merlin, did Draco wish he had not taken that tone with Harry or used that final combination of words? Incarcerous, Harry said more intently. This time, the ropes that shot out of his wand got Draco's wrists and his ankles, and tighter. Is that better? You can manipulate them with your mind, even once they've been secured, Draco said a bit breathlessly, trying to ignore how interesting the pressure of the ropes felt. It's all visualisation. They're your ropes, if you want them to loosen or tighten. Hold up your wand, picture it, and you can make them do it. You can make them grow or shrink or wrap around other places. Harry. Draco shivered, 
as he felt the rope binding his ankles pull wider, parting them. It was enough for individual coils of rope to begin winding over and over up his calves, trapping his legs more and more, loose before tightening in place each in turn. Harry was concentrating to do it, but the slowness of their progression made it monstrously teasing. This was dueling practice to Harry, but for Draco it was touch, a demanding, constrictive touch of Harry's power, where he couldn't let Harry's hands ever touch. All right, Harry, that's enough, Draco gasped. Give me my wand, loosen one of my wrists a bit, watch. Harry handed him the talon wand from his pocket, right wrist bonds relaxing, and Draco cast relatio. Harry looked almost regretful as the ropes dropped away limp and harmless, especially after Draco tossed the mass of coils away. Just for once. Harry said with a rueful laugh, I had you as a captive audience, didn't I? And you will again, Draco said. Tonight, do it again. Harry seemed good enough at Incarcerus already. He said he thought he'd done it before once or twice, though he couldn't remember when. But he also said he remembered it seeming different when Sirius and Remus did it, more powerful somehow. It involves the neck, the way they do it, Draco said warily. Three different times of Harry casting Incarcerus on his arms and legs, experimenting with moving the rope had left Draco already longing to be accidentally knocked out or something. Release me first and I'll tell you all right. Okay, sorry, said Harry, looking reluctant to each time and tried, release you. Like most spells seemed to for Harry, as soon as he got the wand movement down, it did its job right away. So, they have the rope around their neck too, why? Isn't that dangerous? I'd imagine it has to do with them and their friends being animagi and werewolves. Animals and such like that with sharp jaws can attack with their faces more than humans. He frowned when he caught Harry looking down at him mischievously, before Harry had bent down and poked him in the lips. Then I'd better bind your neck. Harry teased, since with dragons, fire comes out of the mouth. Draco had the most terrible image of licking Harry's fingers, sucking them in and not letting them go, telling him, yes, if you want, put your rope around my neck, whatever you want. Try it, if you want, Draco said, affecting to be unimpressed. But be very careful. Think about what my godfather would do to you if I died in a freak rope bondage accident. Salazar was it dumb to put it that way. It was the most overt reference Draco had made to the possibly sexual dimension of this exercise. He didn't even know if Harry knew all that could be involved there. But, come to think of it, in one summer of talking to Sirius on the mirror, Harry had gone from seemingly clueless to accepting his bisexuality, presumably in part from his new godfather's example. Sirius could have told Harry anything, to prepare for the worst or best, depending on your perspective. And there was another suspicion about the neck dimension of the charm for Remus and Sirius that Draco would definitely never 
be voicing to Harry bloody Potter. This was Saint Potter, do-gooder Gryffindor Supreme, saviour of the wizarding world, starry-eyed proponent of all that was good and pure and true. He would never draw an ounce of pleasure, let alone sexual pleasure, from playing with ropes or squeezing on another boy's neck. Ah! Draco gasped, breathless moan surprised out of him as Harry's next spell hit and the ropes reached his neck right away. They circled it with intent, and this close to Draco's face, he could feel the current of Harry's power through them all the more clearly, like there was an excess energy there that Harry had to hold back from squeezing down. When he tried to crane his neck up to see Harry, to try and tell from his face whether he hated or loved this, it constricted his own air. He moaned again, head falling back, caught. The blood was pumping rapidly in his veins, rushing downwards, pressure and warmth in his lower body catching there again at raw sensation, and that was more than enough of incarcerus for one day. If Draco had thought Carpe Retractum would be easier to withstand well, he would have been right, but not by much. As Harry took a long time swinging ropes at Draco before he succeeded in catching one, then he demanded the opportunity to drag Draco across the floor back and forth, over and over, by one or two wrists or ankles, and once or twice the thigh or throat or all around his waist, claiming not to have the hang of it. Like hell he didn't. Draco was going to have rope burns on both his wrists and ankles after this. Red marks he would have to hide. He worried he wouldn't have the will to enchant them away. He had the excuse to be breathless from all the dragging and manhandling, but he couldn't deny the wicked thoughts it put in him. They circled through every time he arrived helpless at Harry's feet. Rope often coming from Harry's direction to encircle not just one or two limbs, but all of them. They'd leave Draco bound there, before he barked at Harry enough to make him loosen them. Every time he couldn't help but imagine, in another world, what Harry could be dragging him to his feet in order to do to him. Draco was grateful to look over and see the hourglass nearly empty, which meant an end to the ropes. Harry, as fascinating as this is, no doubt, on your end, there is one more spell I wanted to teach you, if you feel up to it. Yeah, Relatio. Harry helped Draco up. He gasped when Harry's fingers brushed the rope burn on his wrist. Harry didn't seem to notice, just gripping his hand hard before letting him go. Manabiscatus should be a nice benign cool-down. Draco shrugged off his rumpled robes and sweater once finally rope-free, and then his Slytherin tie collapsing onto his back. Okay, I don't think I need to stand up for this. Merlin, you've killed me. We're not going to have time for a duel tonight, you know. Either the Harry Potter is inept with ropes, or he likes them too much. Harry crouched down, staring at him uncertainly. He pushed up his glasses and peered closer once Draco rolled up his sleeves. Look at that, he breathed, 
staring at his wrists in fascination without challenging either of Draco's statements. Look at what I did. I'm sorry, Draco. He did not sound in the least bit sorry. Manabiscatus is exactly what it sounds like, Draco informed him, only to get a blank look. Oh, for Salazar's sake, you muggle-raised lot really don't learn your Latin roots, do you? Hands are manibus, fishing is piscatus. It's the idea of catching someone's wrist in an invisible net, ensnaring them in a trap. It's like the leg bind, only for wrists. Draco had picked it up, watching Severus do it to Karkaroff. It might well be Severus's invention and dark magic to boot but anything to avoid spending the entire session on ropes. Draco conjured a dummy and did it to it a couple of times to show Harry. Then he vanished the dummy, remaining sitting up throughout on his pile of soft green pillows. He made sure his wrists were exposed, sleeves still up, and turned them forwards to show Harry. If you do it right, I should be pushed onto my back and my arms should be pinned above my head, like this, Draco said, leaning back and stretched his arms high above his head, pushing his wrists together. There was no response from Harry. Draco waited for a couple of seconds, then sat back up, making sure his hair was securely out of the way. The S-clasp seemed to have held up even under all of Harry's attentions. No, Draco. Do not think what else its enchantment could hold up under the stress of. But the same could not be said for Harry. He was just staring down at Draco with his lips parted and his eyes very wide, pupils dilating and turning them darker behind his thick eyelashes. Harry? Draco prompted. Do you think you're ready to try it, Manabiscatus? Yeah, Harry said voice an octave lower and twice as heavy as before, but he repeated the incantation with credible pronunciation. Then he lifted his wand and called, Manabiscatus, in his strongest voice. Draco's wrists were seized by invisible hands and slammed behind his head with such force, his body rebounded against the pillows, bouncing backwards, his back arching. He gasped, and Harry leaned right over him, staring at his work, leaning so close to Draco's wrists that Draco could feel his breath on them. Did it work? Harry asked, feeling at the wrists. His hands slid tightly around each of them, trying to lift them, only to find he couldn't either. Strong spell, Draco said, in the most normal voice he could muster. Especially if it's you casting it, because you're Harry Potter. Shut up, Harry laughed, staring down at him with a great deal of fiendish brightness in his darkened, blown-out green eyes. You need to stop saying that. That doesn't do anything to make me special, except for what other people say about me. I don't mean because you're the famous Harry Potter boy who lived... Draco whined, struggling against the invisible bonds, especially once Harry had sat atop his legs, keeping them down as well so Draco couldn't try to squirm away with them. Don't be mad, you know that's not, that's not, not what I see in you. 
what do you? Harry whispered, gulping hard. Seeing me. And flattened his hands over Draco's trapped wrists. He looked like he would take advantage of this position to make sure he got a straight answer. Draco could smell that fatal amortentia scent all over him. Cheap shampoo, magic, sweat. The scent of pure desire, pure danger. The dragon, Draco told himself. The stag. But he forgot for a moment how those things combined. At the thought of how that would feel. The combination. Barter? Draco said without thinking. The most honest answer and Harry inhaled sharply. Your spell was strong. Powerful because you're powerful. That's... That's all. He breathed out hard and licked his dry lips nervously. Harry's eyes fixed on Draco's mouth then and Draco's gut clenched, reading the thought in Harry's eyes, the exact shape and feel of Harry's desire. Not like you, Harry said with a forced laugh, left thumb stroking softly over the pulse point of Draco's wand hand. Yeah, Draco agreed. Not like me. More power. I can feel it, you know, in your spells. In the way they feel in the air. In the way you smell. Draco was rambling. He didn't even know what he was saying anymore. It's, it's kind of harsh and acrid. It tastes like charcoal and fireworks. It's your scent. You have so much power in you waiting to get out. No one's ever told you that. You're like a supernova waiting to happen. Oh, you know what that means, Harry. You did take a couple of years of astronomy. Yes, you do. You smell like a supernova. Um, Harry licked his own lips, staring at Draco's still eyes half-lidded, intent written over every inch of him. Is that, is that a good thing, Draco? No, Draco lied and closed his eyes. Now let me up, Harry, your lesson's over. It was in the last week of May that Harry found out what the third task would be from Mr Bagman. Naturally he rejoiced to hear the news, as he thought the duelling lessons he'd been holding with Draco were perfect practice for the spell bits. A hedge maze, full of various small tasks to overcome, including creatures, not that different from, you know, an obstacle course full of various dark creatures, which had been the third year defence exam last year with Lupin. Some of the creatures would probably even overlap, almost as if Dumbledore had planned it that way. No, Draco's suspicions of Dumbledore, justified or not, were definitely not productive right now, even if he still thought Dumbledore could have been the one to put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire or at least turned a blind eye and let Crouch do it. The greatest snag in the third task reveal, Harry told them, had been when Crumb pulled him aside and taken him after rather ominously to the Forbidden Forest. Once there, hilariously enough, he had confronted Harry about whether there was something between him and Hermione. Apparently, even without Skeeter writing articles this time around, about Harry and Hermione's torrid affair and love triangle. It had been wounding enough to Crumb's pride to hear her cheer so much more for Harry than him in the second task. 
not to mention that she had barely given him the time of day since then. In part, she'd confided to Draco because his invitation to come visit him in the summer had freaked her out. So Harry, of all people, was suspected as the Lothario who had cruelly wrested Victor's lady love from him. And then Crouch showed up all balmy and ranting, accosting them, demanding to see Dumbledore, only to disappear before he could. Draco's friends were all concerned and suspicious about it, but Draco knew full well what he was on about, and he'd almost given the game away. In any event, it was karma for attempting the arrest of the incredibly harmless and innocent young bastion of virtue known as Draco Malfoy. The Crumb issue had more immediate consequences, as Harry's denial seemed to turn Crumb's suspicions in a different direction. The next day, when Hermione and Draco met up in Myrtle's bathroom after dinner, the door was kicked open right after by a very tall, very infuriated Bulgarian. I have caught you in the act. Oh, hell, Draco hissed and looked reflexively towards the toilet stall where they kept their cauldron hidden. But Crumb didn't catch his stare. He only had eyes for Hermione. Victor, this isn't what it looks like. This is exactly what it looks like, Crumb exclaimed. Though he hadn't drawn his wand, he had a tone like he had. How angry would Hermione be if I obliviated her boyfriend? I thought you were my friend, Malfoy, but you have stolen Hermione away from me. Hey, Victor, we are friends. Well, um, friendly acquaintances. Wait, what? Hermione had been looking scared of expulsion, but then she just looked baffled. Victor, what do you mean, stolen me? You mean he's taking up too much of my time recently? I know we haven't been able to spend that much time together. I'm, I'm sorry, but I've been really busy. Time with him, Crumb yelled. I have seen you sneaking off on secret rendezvous. You meet in this bathroom to do things. He is your lover, Hermione. Verater, Veraterin. It's Weisage Schweiner. Schweiner! Okay, Harry hadn't followed all the German there. But what he had did not sound promising. Hey, Victor, calm down. You do remember I'm gay, right? Sershvul. It is all lies, Crom yelled, throwing his hands up. I should have known when you stopped our flying together. Hey, no, that's like a total misunderstanding, Draco protested. Seriously, Victor, you've got it all wrong. I got my flying permission taken away by Professor Snape. Ha! A likely story, Crom exclaimed bitterly. Your godfather spoils you, Malfoy. He would do anything for you. What could you have possibly done for him to punish you that badly? Threaten and curse your headmaster. Um, well, it wasn't a big deal. Liar! He is a liar! Hermione, what does he have that I do not? Crum asked earnestly, eyes shining big and wide with betrayal. Is it that he is the heir of Slytherin? Oh, for Salazar's sake. Draco groaned. Hermione glanced nervously in the direction of their potion, which was rather fragrant. Draco weighed up the options and decided to cut their losses. Okay, fine, you're right, Victor. We're in love. He rolled his eyes at Hermione's indignant shriek. 
Stryker, it's not like you like him. You don't even really want to date him, do you? Hermione's silence told the whole story there. I knew it! Crumb cried out, voice agonised. Yeah, Draco said, trying to put an arm around Hermione's shoulders, which she immediately shoved off, looking red-faced and miserable. He flicked the H on her bracelet before carrying on. See, you've caught me. I just put on the whole gay thing to cover up that I'm in love with a muggle-born. My father would never accept our love. We come here every night to consummate our wanton passion. He might just have gotten away with it, however murderous Hermione was starting to look, if Myrtle hadn't chosen that moment to insert her too undead scent. That's not what I heard. She simpered. Oh, hello, who are you? She squealed at the sight of Crumb. Did that awful bushy-haired girl break your heart, big boy? If you're ever lonely. What do you mean, spirit? Crumb asked, eyes narrowing. You say Malfoy's lying. Myrtle? Draco yelled, if you rat us out, I'll never let you watch me naked during my angel's infusion again. Crumb looked baffled. What kind of depraved sex parties have you been having in here? I'm sorry, Draco, Myrtle said dramatically. But the heart wants what the heart wants. She soared over to Crumb stroked a ghostly hand over the musculature of his shoulder, and delivered rather bluntly, Draco's gay. Harry Potter fancies him. They took a steamy bath together. Hermione got a pole-axed look, but it was raised by indignation when Myrtle added, and Draco's been a busy boy, you know. He and Hermione have been coming here to brew an illegal secret potion. I'll show you. It's very illegal and very secret. It's right in this stall. Frankenstein! I'm going to be expelled because you trusted moaning Myrtle! Hermione shrieked right into his ear. Draco tried to convey with his eyes that he was ready, willing and able to obliviate, if not more drastic action. Crumb pulled the door open, Myrtle indicated, and stared down at the bubbling wolfsbane, with its various incriminating-looking ingredients scattered around it. Oh, he said slowly. Then, what are you making? Is this dark magic? Is he forcing you to help him, Hermione? No! Hermione yelled, looking on the verge of hysterics at no one listening to her. Then what is it? Crumb asked suspiciously. Victor? Draco said with a sigh. Don't you think you've done enough? Barging in here, falsely accusing us, and bullying a girl like this. If she doesn't like you, she doesn't like you. Get the message and leave her alone already. Crumb's eyes widened with horror. Hermione, he whispered. Is this true? Do you not return my feelings for you? There is someone else. Is it that Weasley? No, Victor. I'm not seeing anyone else. Hermione sighed and grabbed Draco's hand and squeezed it for courage. I'm just... I'm really sorry, Victor. You're a very nice person and 
I really did enjoy going to the Yule Ball with you. It's just, I don't really know if we have very much in common, so I don't think we're very well suited for each other. You are breaking it off with me? Crum asked in disbelief. In front of Malfoy? Hermione reluctantly let go of Draco's hand. You're right. Draco, I think you should go. Victor and I have things we should discuss with just us. Myrtle? Myrtle looked up from innocently stroking Crumb's back. What? But I haven't even gotten the chance to threaten him yet. Draco whined. You know, about if he tells anyone about our potion, or if he doesn't leave you alone, if that's what you want. Draco, Hermione said with a resolute sigh. I can handle this myself. Okay, fine. Draco sighed and squeezed her hand a last time. And you'll uh, check on the, uh, you know, before you go. I will not let Hermione go anywhere, Crumb said very glumly, without her working on your secret evil potion. And Draco left Hermione to it. Crumb was as good as his word after that. The wolfsbane was unhurt, Hermione was freed of her unwanted admirer, and word never spread of their actions in Myrtle's bathroom. Draco was almost sad, as he'd mentally prepared all variety of creative threats, not against Crumb himself, who he rather liked as a person, but against his loathsome headmaster. Draco would have been glad to follow through with any threats on Karkaroff. They were more careful watching the Marauder's map after, and no one caught them after Crumb. The only real casualty was Hermione's mood, as she spent the next several days quiet and guilty, whatever the ways Draco and Luna tried alternately flattering her and alarming her to cheer her up. If she keeps being this sad, Luna said to him after, we should tell her about the new Freakian portion. She'd be so upset she'd forget all about that Victor Crumb. Luna, it seemed, had not quite understood the scale of what was at stake. But Hermione eventually was alarmed enough to distract her from her first breakup. Harry provided the fuel on a late Monday afternoon, when Draco and Hermione emerged together from double arithmancy just before dinner time. Ron and Luna were waiting there, looking deadly anxious. How long can you study numbers for? Ron exclaimed in agitation. I'm so pleased I didn't choose Arismanthi as an elective, Luna agreed. We've been listening for ten minutes, waiting for it to be over, and I feel like we've aged years. What is it? What's going on? Hermione asked, then looked between the four of them and asked, Where's Harry? Is there something wrong with him? Had a fit in divination today, Ron said with a shudder. Draco hadn't had anything special down for this date in his notebooks, but this could have happened in the Blue Loop. He might just not have heard about it. But it still chilled his blood, thinking of the last time he had been in the divination tower before his lifetime ban. He started rolling on the floor, clutching his scarf. Jolani thought it must have been a prophetic dream or something, but he said he didn't see anything and she couldn't make him stay. He said he was going to the hospital wing, but I went there after class and he wasn't there. Madame Pomfrey said she never saw him. Draco, Hermione, do you still have the map? Luna asked. Draco pulled them into an empty corridor and activated it. Ron grabbed the map and searched it anxiously, and what he found didn't help any of their anxiety. Dumbledore's office, Hermione breathed. So he didn't just see nothing? 
Do you think he's in trouble? Ron said fearfully. I want to know what he saw, Luna said excitedly. Let's go wait outside. Hermione looked torn between her fear of being caught and her own curiosity. But eventually three outvoted one and they all went sneaking towards Dumbledore's office. The map said Harry was inside but Dumbledore not, so Draco knocked on the door. There was no reply. Should we just go in? Ron hissed. What if he's in there having another fit and swallowing his own tongue or something? Dumbledore shouldn't have left him alone, Hermione fretted. Draco deactivated the map and put it away with a sigh. It's probably some sort of chosen one thing going on that we're not supposed to know about, Draco said crossly. I don't know if we should storm the office. Dumbledore could be back any moment. It gives me a bad feeling, Luna said quietly. Him having a fit like that so close to the third task. She exchanged a knowing glance with Draco, having heard the suspicions behind his decision to brew Nalfragium. Like something is going to happen? Draco, you think Karkaroff is up to something, don't you? Hermione mused. I don't know anything for sure, Draco sighed, closing his eyes. But Harry had better tell us everything he saw in that dream when he's done here. Knowing Harry, he probably will, a kindly voice said from behind them. Professor Dumbledore, Hermione exclaimed, looking mortified. We were, we were just... Dumbledore sent them packing then, gently but firmly. He promised Harry was in no immediate danger, that he would send him back to them soon, and that he wouldn't forbid Harry from telling anything they talked about. So they stopped in the dungeons, getting enough food from a worried Dobby to feed an army. They decided to wait to eat it with Harry once he got back, even if Ron stole a few rolls on the way up to the moving staircases. Stalwart honour, Hermione said and the fat lady opened for them. We can wait for him in the common room. He'll probably come right. Intruder! Intruder! The fat lady began to shriek the moment Draco crossed the threshold. A loud, angry klaxon began to sound, twice as intense as the one for boys in the girls' dorm overhead. Intruder alert! Intruder alert! Dangerous individual! Dangerous individual in Gryffindor Tower! Intruder alert! Oh, fuck, Draco breathed, turning red under all the incredulous stares he was getting from glaring Gryffindors by the fire, and raced back out. He saw Fred and George covering their ears, but smirking at him mightily before he cleared the fat lady. The klaxon stopped once he was out, but not the painting. I'm sorry! He yelled up at her. I forgot. I didn't realise the ban was that serious. I left. Okay. I won't go back in. Will you please stop yelling? Intruder alert! She bellowed on just as majestically, taking on operatic notes at her top volume. Chaos and disorder! Madness in Gryffindor Tower! Apparently McGonagall had been alerted in her office. She had to come up and tell the fat lady to stop screaming, which couldn't have made Draco many more friends in Gryffindor. She found him sitting glumly on the top stair step, munching on a sandwich that Hermione had snuck out to him. He sat there, waiting for the worst, while McGonagall expertly coaxed the fat lady into quiet, 
And then she had looked down at Draco and said, Mr. Malfoy, would you care to explain? Draco turned to stare up at her. He tried to look as small and pathetic as possible, but that was getting harder for a boy almost a fifth year by now. It was a mistake, Professor. I completely forgot I was banned from Gryffindor. We were all worried, see, because Harry had a fit in class. And the news seemed to take McGonagall's focus off Draco and on to worrying about one of her favourite pupils. She set off, probably to grill Dumbledore, taking only a mere ten points off Slytherin. But he was sent back to the dungeons with Severus in rare, vicious form, at the news Draco had been caught sneaking into Gryffindor. He had to wait until the next morning to be filled in, with June dawning bright outside but uncertain within the walls of Hogwarts, the shadow of more than just Harry's dream coming over them now. He knew something was awry when Hermione took him aside to tell him the whole story instead of Harry. He felt like being sick when she narrated Harry's dream about Wormtail and Voldemort, which she had copied down an account of in writing much like he would have. It was nothing new, but it confirmed that the same plan as the Blue Loop must be in play, unless Draco's magic prevented it. It also confirmed how foolish he had been not to kill Wormtail when he had the chance, though Hermione did not seem overly fond of listening to him expressing that opinion. But Hermione's solicitude had not been over the Wormtail question, but some of the things Harry found out after, having snuck a look, into Dumbledore's pensive when alone in his office, because of course he had. For one, he had seen Bagman, an ex-Quidditch star brought up on charges of passing information, and he had seen four Death Eaters brought in on another occasion, which made Draco pale to hear, knowing Harry would have heard about Draco's wand. Harry hadn't said it to Hermione, but Draco knew those four individuals must have been called up for judgment, for the torture of Frank and Alice Longbottom. By their description, Draco could instantly identify three as Uncle Rodolphus, his brother Rastaban, and of course Aunt Bella, who had yelled out in court that they were faithful to the Dark Lord and would be rewarded for it. The identity of the fourth one, a teenager, had been revealed by his pathetic pleas for mercy to a sobbing mother, and a vengeful prosecutor who was also his father, who sent to Azkaban for life with the lot of them. Oh, Gryffindors, if only you knew these criminal courts are like a who's who of your defence professors. But the first thing Harry had seen, which Hermione left until last, was the trial before the wizengamot of another Death Eater, Igor Karkaroff. She said it had begun this sequence, with the implication Karkaroff had been the one to turn in the Death Eaters whose trial subsequently followed, but she had told it backwards, because Dumbledore's first memory with Karkaroff, naming names to save himself, had been too many for Harry to remember, except for one he could never have forgotten, Severus Snape. Apparently Dumbledore had said Severus was a Death Eater, who had turned sides before Voldemort fell and had been a spy subsequently. That wasn't news to Draco, though it must have been to the others, and Harry had questioned it to Dumbledore, because Hermione said Dumbledore had repeated the same assertion of his faith in Severus to Harry that afternoon. Wait, did he ask you to talk to me about this? Draco snapped. 
feeling the hideous déjà vu of old fishes he thought sanded over coming to crack again. What is this? Hey, guess what, Draco? Your godfather's a Death Eater. What do you think I didn't know? You said you told him once that Professor Snape hadn't been, Hermione said, shifting in a way that made Draco feel bad she'd been enlisted as messenger. He shouldn't unload his frustrations on her. She'd been getting it hard enough recently. He couldn't let himself fall into taking her for granted, since apparently one of the most basic things he'd taken for granted, that his friends no longer suspected Severus of every remotely dark occurrence, was not true after all. By the time Draco arrived at the duelling lesson, he had worked up such a head of steam that he wished it wasn't a review day. He wished they were on to Borbilius, and he could spend the session shooting lightning bolts at that lightning scar to his heart's content, however much it was hurting. If Harry showed any signs of blaming that pain on Draco's godfather, well, Draco might just have to cast Protego Diabolica again, and see if he passed through it unscathed this time. Harry was waiting inside, with an exhausted look in wake of the day's misadventures, that did nothing to make Draco feel more merciful. He brightened when he saw Draco come in, only for his face to drop at Draco's expression. At least he was dressed properly today, but that was the best that could be said of him. He'd been seated in the chair behind the repaired cage, but he came out with a maddening pity on his face. Get in the cage, Draco snapped, wishing he'd gotten more useful advice from Sirius about anger than to turn it to vengeance. He couldn't wreak vengeance against Harry Potter, though it wasn't like there hadn't been enough small squabbles and slights in just the red line for it to feel justified. Harry would be just as justified to seek the same against Draco. Well, let him try. Harry hadn't moved. Get in the fucking cage, Draco barked. I can't be held responsible for my actions right now. I don't know what I'll do. Get in the cage and lock it. Harry obeyed, but pressed against the cage, glasses scraping against the clear pane like nails on a chalkboard. Draco, I'm so sorry. I know this has to be one of the hardest things you've ever had to hear, and maybe I should have told you myself, but I thought it would be easier for you coming from Hermione since you two are closer. Draco scoffed, willing himself not to draw his wand. What he did permit himself was to stalk up to the cage and slam his fist hard against the pane. I give you too much credit, don't I? I always do, whenever I think you're getting smarter, Potter, that you're growing up. It's one step forward, fifteen back. Harry hadn't flinched at Draco's fist making the glass vibrate between them. He did at Draco's words, looking as confused as he was hurt. Do you actually think I didn't know Severus used to be? You said, Harry protested. And what Draco had thought some meaningless invention for the others turned out to be a real belief. Back in first year, when I came to you after the Quidditch game when my broom was enchanted, I told you and Ron, and I thought Snape might be a Death Eater, and you got so angry you kicked me out, you threatened me, you put your wand on my scar. He touched the lightning bolt, before leaning his face back right against the cage. Glass is the only impediment. 
green eyes dripping with that intolerable pity. You couldn't bear the idea. I've been really worried about you since I heard Draco. I knew you wouldn't be able to handle. I'm not as childish as you, Potter! Draco yelled, hitting at the glass again as he seethed impotently. It wasn't because you said he was. Of course he was, just like my father. He was, and he changed, but you said, once a Death Eater, always a Death Eater. Is that how it works for you? Still, I swear to the goddess Hecate Potter, if you say one word about my godfather still working for Voldemort. Harry was smiling, of all things. You said the name. Because I'm angry, you pluck! Draco screamed and drove both fists against the glass, shaking physically with rage. That gorgeous face was just making him more frustrated in every way imaginable. Being near Harry, sharing friends with him, a school, a cousin, an existence where Harry was there, it was too much. Like he would never be contented, never be safe or certain of anything. Are you going to do that? Are you going to accuse him? Because the one actually still working for the Dark Lord, if you doubt me, ask your favourite Professor Moody, is Kakaroff, the one who turned on the Death Eaters when there was only something in it for him, and you didn't even have the nerve to say it to my face. Draco, can I come out of the cage? Harry asked. Draco lifted his wand and tapped it against the glass grimly. Oh, you can, Draco drawled, trying to refine his anger down to a more Severus-like sarcasm. You just might not like the result. Draco, Harry said, without a bit of fear in his eyes, though that might have been sore attested without the cage between them. As it was, Draco seemed more afraid of himself than Harry was. I don't think Snape is behind anything, okay? The last time, we were against him. We were trying to help Sirius and everyone thought he was a Death Eater. If you say he's changed, then I will believe him. People can change. And I trust you enough to trust in your judgement. Harry took a deep breath, running his hand down the glass like he expected Draco to press his hand against the other side with him. I just... I thought you didn't know and, and that you'd be devastated when you found out, that's all. Please, Draco... This isn't a repeat of first year, I swear. Draco could feel the rage in him finally begin to subside. Okay, if that's true, maybe you can come out of the cage. So, Karkaroff, Harry said seriously. Rather than curses, Draco had the room provide them with cushions, and Harry told him everything he'd seen. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.